Good morning and welcome to another episode of Ladies Who League. I'm Brittany Carter and I'm filling in for Mary Kay who's on a holidays in the US. We know you're listening, Mary, and we love your photos. Keep them coming. Coming up on the show, we're going to talk about footy finals, the Paralympics and interview Wallaroo Louise Burrows. But firstly, I'd like to introduce you to my panel this morning. We've got Kate Simmons, freelance writer and previous contributor to SBS Sealer, which we're very sad to see go. Hello, mm, Kate. Too. Hi, how are you? Good to have you here. You too. We've got Joanna Lester, sports journalist, just returned from the Olympics. Hi, Joe. Welcome back. Thank you. It's lovely to be back. And Sam Quinn, law student and flank for Sydney Uni's rugby club. Thanks for being here, Sam. And we're really looking forward to discussing your story later on in the show. Thanks for having me. Great. So first up this morning, there's a really important point of discussion that I'd like to unpack. And it comes from an article, Kate, you actually wrote titled, There Shouldn't Be a Site Dedicated to Women's Sport, where you argue that a platform dedicated to women's sport is akin to a bronze medal at best. (laughs) What led you to write this article? A few things, I think. I was a bit um, cranky that Zeela was being closed, uh, not only because it was a source of income, but because finally we had this wonderful platform um, where we could talk about and discuss and dissect women's sport that we really haven't seen before. Uh, this seems a contradiction to my to my point, but I sort of thought, well, let's look at this another way. Maybe, maybe this shouldn't be how it goes because, quite frankly, we should be up there on the same sports platform. It's not women's sport. It's just sport. Women happen to be playing it. Let's... Let's be on the, the podium where the gold medalists are not 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 down with the bronze medalists. So, um, so look, I'm, I was so proud of Zeela, and there are some other platforms that are doing similar wonderful things. And, and to be to be really honest, I, I think they're great, and I am glad that they exist. But the point was, it's a token gesture as well, and let's let's really keep this going, and and to a point where one day. It's just the sports pages and women are there too. I completely agree with all you have to say in that article and what you just said then. And something I've noticed too is when I'm writing a women's sports story, I constantly have to write women's sport. Mm. And there's there's only so many ways you can say it and it becomes really repetitive. But if you don't put women's sport in there, then people get confused. Yeah. And that's quite sad that you actually have to say that all the time. Joe, did you catch this article and what did you think of it? Yeah, I think it's it's a really good point. Um you mentioned it was a bit of a token gesture, but I hope that also it's a stepping stone. Yeah. And the sort of conversation about this has, has increased so much recently um, that if 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 Zelo was only around for what uh, I think seven eight months, eight months yeah. yeah. Um, and you mentioned other platforms that are still doing the same thing. It's increasing the conversation, and, and articles like the one you wrote are also doing that. So um, I'm I'm hopeful that there will be the longer term we'll be seeing more of what you're talking about. Yeah, and I think this also, and what wasn't in the article because, it, you know, the, it wasn't quite the right thing to put in there, but these steps are so important that this will get us to hopefully that all being on the same platform. It's just I'd like it to happen a bit quicker. And at the moment we do need these platforms, don't we? Because even, you know, the ANZ Championship final that happened this year that went into two bouts of extra time, (laughs) huge ratings I can imagine that came off the back of that. I remember the next day 
looking at the newspapers and only one of the Sydney-based newspapers had it on the back cover. I just couldn't believe it because there was, I think, a Manly and New Zealand Warriors game on the back of another and I thought, that was a rubbish game. Why did that make the back cover over the netball? It was incredible. Sam, what do you think about all of this discussion? Yes, I think it's interesting because, I mean, you talked about how there's always uh, the addition of women's before sport these days and that's across the board in terms of you know, looking at business as well, you have a woman CEO and, and a female CEO and those things coming through and you think, well, why does it need to be there? Um, and in terms of getting to the level where we want it, I think um, you're right in terms of we need, you can't just go there straight at once, you need those stepping stones. I think Zila was a really good uh, point in which you could work off. So I think removing that kind of removes a bit of a bit of groundwork that you've had, you know, that you had, had going there, so... The second topic I'd like to bring up today is the amazing new announcement in the women's netball. With players competing in the new 2017 league, the highest paid sportswomen in Australia. So the minimum salary for a player will more than double from the Trans-Tasman deal from $13,250 to $27,375. And not only that, there's some great, you know, um, contract deals in part of it where the players will get 10 to 4 off during the days to pursue career options or studies um, and just to build a life a life outside of sport which is really important and something that I love about women's sports and that the organization in this um, the organizations in this country do really well what did you think about the new netball deal Kate and what do you think it will mean for the rest of the sporting codes currently trying to progress in the women's sport area yeah the new deal <clears throat> it's really exciting there was sort of there's been talk about it for a while, but now that we really know the figures, um, for personally, they're even bigger than I had imagined. Um, it's respect that those players deserve. And and I think in terms of other leagues, hopefully it will make them take a good hard look at what they're doing because obviously in a PR sense they're competing. They look even worse now than they did before, but they're also competing for young girls and what is going to interest them. I thought it was interesting. Um, I saw a, a statement from um, Football Australia about how, you know, well, we've got the Olympics that that, that girls can aim for, but, oh, gosh, that's so disappointing. Yes, the Olympics are a pinnacle and that's an amazing what thing. What do you but, do for the four years leading up to it? Yeah, and also that's not – that's kind of – as a freelance writer, that made me feel like those people who say, oh, well, it's good exposure, but we were not going to pay you. Mm. Oh, you know, there's more to it than than just that that one, although amazing, event. So it's it's respect, I think, and they deserve it. And it's um, I really hope it starts a snowball effect. Joe, have you noticed that all the codes seem to be competing to be the front runner in women's sports now? You know, Cricket Australia announced they're going to pay their athletes or the top athletes professionally for the Southern Stars and. The women's AFL have just started a new competition, but everyone seems to be scrambling to be the person on top in the situation. Certainly, and I don't think that's a bad thing. You know, we've waited a long time for this, and really in the last 12 months or so, since the success of the Women's Big Bash League and the AFL sort of started making serious noises about this, everyone's been been sort of jumping in with what they're doing. Um, this this netball deal is one of the most exciting, and it, it certainly, um, it's almost a bit experimental, really, for netball to see how players and, and future players respond to this and also um, laying down the gauntlet as netball themselves put it to the other codes to see what they can come up with. Obviously, circumstances different for, for different sports and, and how much of, of how what percentage of, of the player's life they spend on that sport, whether it's sort of full-time or every four years or 
but um, it's certainly an interesting step and uh, will be good to see how the other Australian codes respond. Sam, as a male, have you noticed an increased coverage for women's sports and do you find that your knowledge of women's sports is increasing over the last year or two? Yeah, hugely. I mean, from my perspective as a rugby player, um, as soon as you saw the Rugby Sevens women's team um, start to get paid professionally, that you know created a huge increase in terms of the way the game got played and made it a really good spectator sport. And you saw that in the Olympics this year in terms of how well they played. And I was saying before, I actually enjoyed watching the the the, um, the women's side of things more than the men's because you know you look at the way they were playing, they were just playing some awesome games, and it was really good to watch. So there's no secret to getting uh, better performances and getting better performances leads to more people watching and I think putting money into those areas is where you're going to get the results. Well there's been so many exciting developments in women's sports this year and I can't wait to see where it heads. Next up we're going to talk footy finals. Well we're sitting here talking off air and I think we all can't believe the game that unfolded last night in the NRL, I'm usually someone that has the AFL and NRL up at the same time watching both, but I couldn't just not take my eyes off the NRL last night. It was so exciting to see that grand final rematch. Kate, you caught the game and you've got Mini Cooper with you here in the <laughs> studio today. What were your thoughts about it? Yeah, little little Lego Gavin Cooper. Um, I need to disclose that I'm a Cowboys fan, so I have a little bit of bias Um and it was just amazing. It was amazing, obviously, because because they they won, and that's the result I wanted. But the fact that the Cowboys and Broncos continue to deliver games like that since the grand final, which people will remember, went into Golden Point, they've had two one point Broncos won in round four by one, Cowboys I think it was round eleven by one, and then obviously last night into into extra time, which was our first experience with that instead of going into the Golden Point. Um, it's just amazing and heart in, in chest and it was a grand final type of performance. And with the Broncos leading 14-6 at halftime, we all agreed that the Cowboys looked a little bit down. Jonathan Thurston even had his head down, which is very rare. And I think most were tipping the Cowboys, I mean, sorry, the Broncos to go on and be dominant in the rest of the match there. But to see them turn it around and win 26-20... It was just such a great match and I just, as I said, couldn't take my eyes off it. Joe, what were your thoughts about it? Well, it was just incredible, wasn't it? Um, I haven't seen much NRL over the last couple of months being in Rio and South America, so this was actually my first match for a while. Oh, very lucky. And, uh, yes, I feel <laughs> very privileged to have returned at this point. Um, who is writing these scripts, you know, for it to, as Kate said again, be that close and go to extra time? And then and then JT again, um, you know, that... The, the try that he set up was just utterly fitting of what we've now kind of come to expect. And you sit there watching it thinking, is it really fair for us to expect this to go to extra time again? <laughs> and it does. And then even when it was 26-20 and the, the Broncos had a chance and uh, could have gone on even longer, but uh, absolutely wonderful and look forward to seeing what the Cowboys can do next week. Although I think it'll be pretty hard after that. Sam... You were impressed by some of the young gongs too. We've just been talking about Caelan Ponger and Cohen Hess. Yeah, I mean, you look at some of those young guys coming in and you think, well, they're surely going to make a few mistakes. But Ponger under the high ball was outstanding. And I think um, coming through Hess, breaking that line to kind of get them back on the front foot after being down and out, it almost seemed after you know a couple of minutes with the, the Broncos on top. So those guys really stepped up. And I think um, looking at the game in terms of overall the pace of it coming through in the first half which all the players were saying it was so fast and that kind of pace of game enables some of those young guys to really show a bit of flair and I think 
um, coming through if we maintain that pace of the game and that willing to willingness to throw the ball around we should you know continue to see some great games coming through in the finals so today the Canberra and um, Penrith match up down in Canberra who are you tipping Kate oh, it's a really hard one I'm, I'm excited about the fact that it's it's some really um, flashy attack against some really flashy attack I think that's going to be really cool to watch I guess if you made me my heart says the Panthers but I don't quite know why (laughs) (laughs) it's one of those 50 50 things flip a coin (laughs) and you know what they're both um either way the romance of the story I really like both have kind of um to me they came a bit out of nowhere in the back end of the season um they they weren't sort of as impressive early on and and all of a sudden it was like oh here the Raiders are like third. What 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 happened? I didn't even <laughs> notice this was happening. So I think either team winning uh, continues a bit of a fairy tale. And and um, underdog wise, I, I think they both sort of play that play that role here. Joe, do you think we'll see more of Ricky Stewart bouncing up and down on the sideline and <laughs> happiness, or will Penrith come away with the win? There'll be some bouncing, whether it's happy or sad. <laughs> um, my heart says Canberra. Like I mentioned, I'm a little out of touch with very recent form, but I've just enjoyed. Uh, the Raiders' resurgence this year, and I would love to see them make it through to next week. And Sam, who are you tipping? I'm going to say Canberra as well. Uh, I think the Panthers will run away with it in the first half, and then the Canberra Raiders will have to come back from the second. Um, but I think in terms of fans, there's you've got the young gun and Nathan Cleary for the Panthers, who's really been impressive, and he's got what a lot of people call that young naivety in terms of going to finals and, and having that he doesn't really he probably doesn't know how much of a big deal it is at this stage of his career and then you've got on the other side um, people like Blake Austin and, and Hodgson who are, who are really coming back coming, from injury yeah, which is huge so I think it'll be good on both sides so the winner of that match will match up against the Storm next week and because the Cowboys won they will match up against the Sharks next week and I just love finals footy it's such an exciting time of year. We should also mention that the AFL did happen last night and <laughs> the Western Bulldogs beat the Hawks 107 to 84. As I mentioned I had this up on my phone and was sort of a bit bored with the score thinking Hawthorne was going to take the win again as they seem to always be able to win. And then to look down after the NRL finished and see the score had completely flipped, I was so surprised. What did you, Were you surprised too, Sam? You caught the two middle quarters, didn't you? Yeah, so my housemate loves the Hawks, so I was forced to switch over <laughs> on and, and watch with the AFL. And uh, we, I was, I was watching it and I thought, geez, the Hawks have got it. They are 23 points ahead and went ahead you know, by big margins twice in the first half. And it looked like they were just going to run away with it. And I think everyone probably thought that. And then the... Bulldogs just kept coming back and eventually they obviously just broke them and, and ran through. So, yeah, amazing to see that from an underdog team come through and beat the, the reigning champions. There's some young guns in that side too that are really exciting to watch. So I'm very happy that they defeated Hawthorne. I'm very happy to see them bow out. There's also the Sydney Swans up against the Adelaide Crows at the SCG tonight, which I'm very unfortunate. Um, sorry, very unhappy that I will be missing. Um, how do you think this is going to go, Joe? Have you been keeping up with the AFL at all? I've been keeping up with the AFL even less than I do normally and uh, I will be firmly tuned into the NRL tonight. I think that's uh, the most I can add to that conversation. Right. Well, disappointed to see the Swans go down last week but very happy to see that they've still got another chance tonight. Next up, we'll be talking the Paralympics. Tickets are now on sale for the Rugby League Experience annual Legends of League Grand Final Cruise. Spend the afternoon cruising Sydney Harbour with great food and drink whilst being entertained by rugby league legends Tommy Rodonigas, Michael Crocker and Mark Spud Carroll. 
in Sydney for the grand final? Why not join in the fun? For more information or to book, call us on 1300 885 718 or email therugbyleagueexperience.com.au. Joe, you've just come back from the Rio Olympics. Tell us what the feeling was like on the back of the able-bodied games and then leading up to the Paralympics. Yes, I'm not sure how much this came across to people here who were just sort of following the games on, on TV or online, but at the end of the Olympics, there was a huge amount of concern about the Paralympics, uh, both in terms of, of the sort of cash flow issues, which were widely reported, but what that would mean on the ground with sort of transport and logistics and the fact that Rio is not the most accessible place anyway, at the best of times. And of course, the crowds, which were not that high during the Olympics for some sports, especially and um, the ticket sales um, when I left Rio were about 9% for the Paralympics. Um, but things have really turned around. Some of my colleagues are still there reporting on the Paralympics. Um, and they, they sort of said that after a bit of a slow start, people just sort of suddenly got it. And I think so many of the, the good stories that come out of the Paralympics drew people in. The, also the fact that uh, Brazil have been doing quite well, uh, much better in the Paralympics <laughs> than the Olympics. And if there's, there's a couple of things I noticed about uh, Rio sports fans is that they uh, really enjoy watching sports where Brazil have a chance and they really enjoy when Brazilian athletes win. So that's been a big factor, the success of the Brazil team. Uh, and also the ticket prices is really worth mentioning. Um, many of the Paralympic tickets are 10 reais, which is four Australian dollars, mm. um, which is significantly cheaper than the Olympics. I read somewhere that the people in Brazil are so poor that they actually have a full year loan where they can pay a dollar a year off or the equivalent of Australian dollars, I understand, for one ticket. ticket. Mm. Yeah, it's very sad, isn't Mm. it? I mean, when you have a Games in in a country where a lot of people have, you know, don't have a comfortable income, ticket pricing is always an issue and that certainly was the case with the Olympics. Uh, Even for sports that aren't traditionally popular in Rio, ticket prices were quite high. So this this has really helped... um, and actually, the Paralympics has had a, sing- a single day attendance that was bigger than the Olympics, which is not something any of us would have expected a few weeks ago. So I think uh, it's, it will go down a lot, a lot more successful than we were, we were thinking. A nice little shout out for Kate McLaughlin, who's a friend of the show and came on before the Paralympics, Chef Demission. Um, the medal tally, Australia is fifth with two days left. And on day eight, Australia claimed four gold medals. One of my favourite stories to come out of that day was Curtis McGrath, who after stepping on a hidden bomb while serving in Afghanistan during 2012, Australian soldier, uh, as an Australian soldier, famously told medics while he was being rushed to a hospital that they would see him at the Paralympics. So <laughs> there's been plenty of nice stories to come out of the Games. Um, Sam, what's been your favourite? Yes, there's a few for me uh, that have come through. I particularly enjoyed, we were talking before about the, the 1500 metre and the, uh, the four runners who actually did better than the, uh, than the gold medal time, the Rio Able Body Olympics, but also the, in the, uh, women's triathlon, there was the, um, the blind triathlete led by the able bodied, um, retiree who, who came through and ended up, um, helping her win a gold. So I think some of those stories are amazing in terms of you're getting people who are giving back to the sport and giving back to the Paralympics in a way where they don't necessarily get recognised in the same way that they that they did previously in their careers. Completely. Kate, have you caught much of the Paralympics? Are you loving the stories too? Yeah, they are They are special. Um, one of my standouts is probably Dylan Orcott, who who people might have read has won two gold medals in the, the tennis, but in Beijing in 2008 he won golds um, with the men's wheelchair basketball team. So I do love a multitasker and I think he certainly ticks those boxes um, and, he, and he got silver with the wheelchair basketball team in London as well. So 
uh, might need a, a bigger trophy room. Well, it's nice to see Australia as a whole are doing really well over in Rio in the Paralympics. Up next, we'll be talking to special guest Wallaroo Louise Burrows. We've seen a huge boost in the interest towards women's rugby this year on the back of the Pearls gold medal success in Rio. That interest has extended to the 15 side of the sport and Louise Burrows, current Wallaroo hooker and prop, joins us this morning from training camp. Good morning, Louise. Thanks for making yourself available. I know you're stretching while you're on the phone to us. <laughs> Good morning. Nice to be here. I understand the next challenge for the Wallaroos is the three-game tour of New Zealand in October where you'll play one game against Auckland and then two against the Black Ferns. What's our record like against the Kiwis? Look, in uh, 14 test matches that we've played the Black Ferns, we've um, been unsuccessful in all of them. But the last time we played them in 2014, um, you know, we had a lot of girls make their debut for Australia and, you know, we're inching closer back then and we blooded a lot of new players. So I think um, the fact that we played two years ago at the World Cup as well and now, you know, we've had a reasonable preparation with the camp at the Gold Coast just three weeks ago. I think, um, you know, this is as good a time as any for us to um, really give it to the Black Ferns and, and see where where we are at. Good to hear the rivalry is still strong. What's the vibe been like at training? How are you all preparing? Yeah, look, the camp was super competitive. You know, we all went there vying for a position in the touring squad to New Zealand. We went into camp at the Gold Coast with 35 girls and um, knowing that only 26 would be selected to tour. So everyone prepared as best they could for the camp. And then at camp, the coaches really um, tested us out, especially, um, you know, we packed a lot of scrums. So they were really challenging us front rowers. Um, with packing scrums and seeing who was, um, you know, better prepared to take on the Black Ferns in the set piece. And and I think, you know, everyone's come away from that camp knowing that we've been selected because we're the best in Australia. But I know myself, that's not enough for me. I want to go away and be the best in the world. So if you're going to take on the best in the world, you really need to prepare yourself to be better than them. So we're all working really hard in our own home states and We've got that great support. Uh, Glenn Corcoran, who's our strength and conditioning coach, has been sending out our strength programs and our conditioning programs. So we're all, you know, doing what we can um, as individuals and with our girls in the squad from our own states to make sure that we're best prepared. The second game on the 22nd of October is going to be a double header at Eden Park. Are you looking forward to playing in front of a huge crowd? They're expecting over 30,000 people there. Yeah, look, this is a dream come true. You know, I made my test debut in 2001 against England and for myself, I've never had that opportunity to play in such a big, in front of such a big crowd. I think, you know, we had, um, 10,000 when we played France over in Paris for the World Cup and we had a huge audience on TV watching it live over there. But, um, to actually play at such a prestigious stadium as Eden Park and, and knowing that the Wallabies actually haven't had a great record there. <laughs> I'm hoping that um, we can turn the tables and actually, you know, really step it up and, and embrace that, you know, that pressure and the, and the crowd. I think for us it'll be something that, you know, is really new to, to most of us and, and I think it gives us that opportunity to sort of prove that under pressure we can, we can perform. And, and, you know, for myself, I've got friends and family 
coming over and obviously want to be able to um, perform well in front of them as well. Louise, it's Kate here. I'm, I'm a bit curious um, to know for you personally, you've been playing this sport at such a high level for a very long time and it, we all know how physically demanding it is, even just as spectators. Um, what do you attribute your longevity to in such a, such a demanding sport? Um, I think, you know, it's about ticking all the boxes. I think obviously, you know, I had a few years off having my children, they're 18 months apart. So I ended up, I think it was three years off rugby and, and it probably was a nice little break to, um, have a focus on, on something else. And, um, you know, it sort of has given me that balance in my life. Whereas before I had kids, you know, obviously went to work, but everything was rugby where now, you know, my life is focused a lot on rugby, but I can't fail it being a mum or a mm. wife and you know I've got to make sure that the household is really happy and and everything is flowing nicely there but it's about you know I have a weekly sports massage I do a session once a week with my physio Christian Waller who you know I do he releases any tight areas plus I do a lot of activation so glute activation and core and then you know I do my weights I do my running and so that I'm not running every day I um, do some RPM classes. I do some core and flexibility sessions as well. So it's about just making sure that, you know, my program is periodized to make sure that, you know, I'm increasing muscle mass. I'm maintaining or increasing strength, but I'm also increasing my fitness, but making sure that I'm fitting in the recovery. And that, that bit is hard sometimes, but I think, um, to keep myself going at 38 years of age, mm. Um, you know, those things are really important. And you're stretching now, which is good. <laughs> yes. Louise, it's Joanna. Yeah. Um, we've, we talk a lot on this, this program and we've spoken today about, uh, about changing sort of pay and conditions in women's sport. Uh, we spoke about the, the netball deal earlier. You've been involved, uh, at this high level for such a long time. What are some of the changes you've seen, um, as a Wallaroo and what, what would you like to see next? Oh, look, you know, I think there has been periods where we haven't had a test match in between World Cups. So, you know, we play a World Cup four years later, we play our next test match. So I think things are changing. The AAU were trying to get us more, more games. So our last test match was at the World Cup in 2014 and we're playing again two years later, which is great. It's a great step in the right direction, but we really need more test matches. We've got the talent, we've got so much skill and ability, but without test matches, it's really hard to be competitive on the world stage at a World Cup. So for us to be the best team that we can be and, and have that great success that the Aussie Sevens girls have had, you know, you look at all the games they get to play on the World Series, you know, they're professional athletes and the results that they've achieved. If we can get more test matches, then I think that we will have some great success as well. So for for us to um, be competitive, it's, you know, unfortunately, I don't think there will come a time in the near future that we'll be professional um, and perhaps not while I'm still playing the game, but it would be great to get a little bit more support um, you know, with training and things if we could because, you know, we, we pay to train. Unlike the men, they're paid to train. So, um, you know, it's tough. And for myself, uh, as a school teacher, I get, yes, lots of holidays throughout the year, but 
it's when school holidays are on. So for myself going to this tour in New Zealand, I'll be taking two weeks leave without pay from my job to play for my country. And, you know, my kids still need to be fed. I need to pay a mortgage. And I'm just really fortunate that I've got a supportive husband. And, you know, it doesn't mean that we do it easy and we won't struggle. But at the same time, it would be great if I didn't have to actually um, lose money to play for my country. Hey, Louise, uh, Sam here. Look, just taking you back to the Nationals, which were a couple of months ago, I know talking to a few of the Sydney Uni girls, it was a pretty gruelling schedule in terms of games you played. Can you just run us through that schedule and how the final against Sydney Uni has prepared you for the upcoming Test matches? Yeah, look, the the Nationals is pretty tough um, in that we actually play four games in three days. The first day, they're only 20-minute halves, so really it's like a full game of rugby but split into two games. So um, that's pretty tough in itself, though, that quick turnaround in a game to recover and then step up again. And, you know, usually the way the, the Nationals are formatted is the games get harder as you go along. So as you get fatigued, it actually does get tougher, but it's everyone's at the same level fatigued and, um, you know, they know that the next game is going to be that little bit harder. For us, ACT, you know, we had a really young team, um, and a really talented team, I must say, and mixed with that experience. And to step up against Sydney, you know, we knew it was going to be a hard challenge. And we were we were confident that we could do the job. But, you know, they're, they're very experienced across the whole park. And, you know, I think it was 10-3 at half time and then they ran away with it in, in the second half. But, you know, the physicality is stepping up each time at nationals and even our local competitions, you know. For us, um, we finished our local competition, you know, quite a while ago now. But, you know, the physicality out there is stepping up. The talent and the skill is improving each year. I think, um, you know, the numbers are increasing, which means that it's more competitive. And, and hopefully that has, um, you know, put us in a good position leading up to the test matches in New Zealand. We mentioned the Rugby Sevens team success leading to more exposure for you guys and I'm pretty sure that you guys have strong ties between the 15s and Sevens sides. Is there a little bit of resentment for you not jumping over to the Sevens bandwagon when that was first introduced? No, for myself, not so much at my age. It would be really, really <laughs> challenging to try to. I think if that opportunity was around when I was, say, 18 and I was a front row, perhaps I would probably, you know, change the way I trained and perhaps tried to go down that avenue. I think most young girls now at 16, 17, 18, even younger, you know, they've got these dreams now. I can be an Olympian. So they will probably look more at that sevens format of the game. But then, you know, we definitely need the 15s format. And, you know, rugby is always, whether you're male or female, it's always promoted that rugby is a game for everybody, all shapes and sizes. And, and I think sevens is a little bit different to that. And I think the 15s game, you know, needs to stay, needs to grow. But due to the sevens, it's helping the 15s grow. You know, our club side have got so many young girls wanting to come and play rugby and because our local competition is predominantly in the 15s format they are playing 15s and that's helping their sevens because they're um they're having to be physical make all those tackles in the 15s and then when they come to sevens you know they've they've got that skill and mix that with their speed and um you know they they've got probably a really good skill set going into the sevens 
Louise, good luck over in New Zealand. We look forward to following the Wallaroos journey leading up to next year's World Cup in Ireland. Great. Thanks for having me. Sam, we mentioned at the start of the show that you're a law student and Sydney Uni rugby player who's crazy enough to be running the Blackmores Full Marathon tomorrow. You're running to raise funds for the LBW Trust. Tell us, what is the LBW Trust? So LBW stands for Learning for a Better World, and obviously there's connotations there which reflects the cricketing origins and the international cricketing community. Uh, essentially, what the trust is looking to do is to raise funds to send young men and women to um, and give them a tertiary education from developing from the developing world. Um, so far, it's been so it got it was founded in two thousand six. Uh, it's raised over two and a half million dollars in that time in ten years, uh, and it currently supports two thousand three hundred and sixty students. So there's a range of different projects going on across the world, and obviously it started off in mainly cricketing nations, uh, particularly India, uh, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka. And now they're starting to diversify and actually increase the operations across to places like Kenya, um, Nepal, those sort of uh, developing nations. So why is women's education something you're passionate about? Well, I think not just in terms of women's education, but in terms of uh, education in developing countries overall. I think um, aside from trying to level the playing field in terms of equality, in that area, uh, I think there's a massive untapped resource in terms of developing nations and and the brains we have there and the minds we have there that we could look into and looking to improve that area of the world. Um, there's been a lot of media about human rights and and raising that area and those area and and that side of the world. And I think giving people the tools to do that through knowledge and education uh, is one way that we can achieve that. Why running? Why did you choose to raise money that way? I'm not sure if you realise, but a marathon is 42.2 kilometres <laughs> long <laughs> and you're going to be running that tomorrow. Yeah, so a lot of people think it's a bit of a bizarre decision. Um, I finished playing rugby in terms of our season, ended up about a month ago, and I think it was about halfway through Silly Sunday, I thought, geez, I've done all this fitness work, why don't I, why don't I put it to a good cause? So, um, look, I looked into the LBW Trust and What's really good about it is that it's completely voluntary. So I thought, you know, if I'm going to run it for a good cause, and this is probably one of the best ones I can think of, um, and in terms of getting into it, you know, there's no half measures. So I thought I might as well try and do the try and do the big one. So yeah, I suppose giving myself a challenge, and um, yeah, it looked like a good thing to do. Sam, you mentioned um, before we we started officially talking that yesterday or recently you did 27k as part of your training. How did that feel? Just a little over halfway of what you're going to do tomorrow. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I did um, a couple of weeks ago. I thought, geez, I better give myself a bit of confidence and do a bit of distance. So um, I did about 27k, and I think I hit the the metaphorical wall that runners call it <laughs> at about 22k. Yep. Um, so obviously that's just over over half of what I got to do tomorrow. Um, so I'm hoping that I didn't have, have any support doing that. So I'm hoping, um, you know, with a few of the gels and power, you know, ice away and all that kind of stuff that they're giving you along the course, that will give me a bit of a, a jump off and I'll be able to keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, Sam, you spoke very passionately about uh, supporting sort of educational opportunities in developing countries. Is, it, is that something you've had personal experience with or something you sort of hope to get more involved with uh, alongside your sporting or law careers? Yeah, so next year a friend and I are looking to do a motorbike trip through India. Um, basically, it's the people on the ground for the LBW Trust. So this is, I suppose, a bit of an initiation for me in terms of doing something um, that shows I'll be able to you know, support myself in, in that kind of environment as well next year. So 
um, getting involved in the LBW Trust in that aspect was was important. Um, and yeah, I think it's a it's a good way to get into it. What has been your favourite moment in women's sport this year? Definitely watching the uh, sevens in the Olympics. I loved the the final, and I loved in terms of the women's sevens team as well how it works in terms of comparing it to the men's sevens. You know, often in that when they get inside the, the red zone or close to the try line, the men would just score straight away. But in the women's, there's so much contest around that area, and there's so many times where you saw just such great defensive efforts on their own try lines, and, and then being able to pull away and and clear the ball. So I think that was was great. Well, good luck tomorrow, Sam. I'll be running non-Ks and I think I'll be struggling. So every K I'll be thinking of you and thinking, if he can run 42 for such a good cause, I can surely run nine. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And if anyone wants to donate, um, there's still time. The page will be open until the 19th of September. So go onto the LBW Trust web uh, Facebook page and the link will be on there. Great cause. We'll be back in a moment. Time for Mary's mix-up for a roundup of other women's sports news. During the week, the Rugby League World Cup organising committee announced that for the first time in sports history, the women's tournament will be held concurrently with the men's. With New South Wales government funding, the World Cup pool matches and semi-finals will be played at Cronulla Stadium from the 16th of November next year, with both women's and men's finals played as a doubleheader in Brisbane. So that's super exciting. Well done to Tyler Wright, who won her fourth event of the 2016 World surf tour during the week, defeating fellow Australian Steph Gilmore with a score of 17-13 in the final of the Swatch Women's Pro at Lowers. There are now four Aussies in the top 10 ranking of female surfers worldwide, including Tyler, Steph Gilmore, Sally Fitzgibbons and Laura Aneva, with Nikki Van Dyke just outside in the 11th spot. Well done to Matilda striker Sam Kerr, who's become the first Australian player to be voted the NWSL Player of the Week twice over in America. The Southern Stars are in Sri Lanka and play their first of a four-match one-day series tomorrow at 2.20pm Australian Eastern Time. I'm hoping there will be a live stream and three of these matches count towards the qualifying rounds of next year's ICC Women's Championship, the World Cup in England. So they are pretty important and it's great to see Meg Lanning return after her shoulder injury. Radio Hub is Australia's premier podcasting facility. With high-quality sound equipment and production services, Radio Hub is a one-stop shop for all your podcasting needs. So, if you're ready to jump into the exciting realm of podcasting, contact Radio Hub on 0402 870 900 or email info at radiohub.com.au. Well, I've had so much fun in the studio today. Kate, thank you so much for coming. I love your insights into women's sport and just sport in general. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been great. Joe. it's been fantastic to have you back here and pretty much just straight off the plane from Rio, really. Almost, yes. I'm still <laughs> getting through uh, all my laundry and catching up on Australian sport. <laughs> well, I'm glad you could fit us in amongst all that. Sam, thank you so much for coming in today and good luck tomorrow. It's going to be huge. Yeah, thank you. Very excited. Great. So, Khan the Swannies, who are playing tonight up against Adelaide and last chance, and I hope Buddy does us proud. The other game, um, three of us have tipped Canberra over Penrith, so I think we'll be happy, though, whoever wins, really. Uh, sport's the winner there for the Rugby League. Leave us a review. I'll be back next week with Mary still away on holidays. But thanks for listening. You've been listening to another episode of Ladies Who League. Australia, Australia.
Ladies, ladies, ladies. ladies.